Hello and welcome to Learning to Grow. I am your host, Barbara Rubio, and over the last 15 years, I've been an educator, trainer and coach, specializing in relationships and identity. I help people discover their true identity, move forward in life in spite of existing trauma, and live fulfilling lives. In this podcast, I share resources and life experiences that have shaped me into who I am today, as well as research and information from experts in their fields to help you learn and grow. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome to our first episode of 2021. I have been a little bit quiet recently and I haven't been posting episodes weekly as I promised I would because as some of you already know, I gave birth to my second daughter on the 2nd of November. I was actually planning to give birth to both the podcast and my daughter on November 1st and that was her birth uh, due date. But she came a day late. And although I thought that I would recover quite quickly and that I would be very able to manage to, uh, my toddler and my newborn baby um, with the help of my husband and my family and that I'd be ready to come back to work with no issues whatsoever, it has actually been a bit of a struggle. And I took the, I made the decision to actually have a little break from making the podcast episodes so regularly, just so that I could focus on my, my newborn baby girl. And now she's two months old and she's grown very fast. She's ever so cute. And I feel like I'm ready to continue recording and bringing out things for you guys to continue to enjoy. So hopefully this is the very first episode of 2021, but one of many more to come. And today, to celebrate, I have a really special guest to introduce to you. Her name is Jess Ramsey. She's the president and founder of Jess Ramsey Coaching. And as a learning facilitator and relationship coach, she helps couples get out of Stacksville, <laughs> I love that, and reclaim the joy-filled, passionate relationships they thought they were getting when they said, I do. She knows that juggling full professional lives, children and other adult responsibilities can sandbag relationships. But she also believes that it doesn't have to. She helps people see how to make their partnerships a source of joy again by teaching them research-based strategies to strengthen their emotional connection and reduce unsolved conflict. Spending nearly 20 years as an educator and professional coach, Jess has extensive experience empowering people to grow into the versions of themselves they most want to become. She earned her coaching certification from one of the highest ranked programs in the world, IPEC. And she has spent years studying what works in relationships from experts in the field, such as Dr. John Gottman, Brené Brown, Gary Chapman and Harriet Lerner, amongst others. When not coaching or teaching, you might find Jess walking in the woods with her surly Australian shepherd puppy or painting rocks with her partner Jason and his precocious six-year-old daughter. Now, without further ado, let's enjoy my conversation with Jess Ramsey. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for being here with me today. 
Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have another relationship coach. And uh, I'm really curious about some of the work that you've been doing recently that I've been following very closely, which is um, working on turning conflict into closeness. And I would like for you to really explain that in detail. But before we go into that, and we know you're a relationship coach, um, would you mind telling us a little bit um, about your personal story, who you are, how you got into the work you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So um, I, my parents split up when I was 15 years old, and it sort of hit me like a freight train. I didn't really see that they were having issues. Oh, wow. um, and as a teenager, it just sort of blew my world apart. And so in my early 20s, I sort of had this idea in my head, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to allow myself to do that. And so mm. I sort of um, believed in the fairy tale idea of once you find the one, you'll know it's the one. And um, the relationship will just last once you find that person. And so I met the person that I thought was the one as a graduate student. And he and I got married and we spent 16 years together. And lo and behold, we got a divorce. And probably the last five or six years or so of the relationship, I was really working really hard to, to learn as much as I could about what works in relationships. Uh, I had attempted a number of times to try to get the two of us into therapy, not knowing anything about coaching at the mm. time. And he was sort of dragging his feet about it. And so I, I'm just someone who loves to learn. So I was reading and listening to podcasts and watching videos as much as I possibly could. And so after our relationship ended, I decided to go and get my coach training certification to work uh, with couples and relationships. Prior to that, um, I was actually an educator and I was coaching in schools. Mm. So mm. This for me yeah. enabled me to turn coaching, something I was already doing professionally, toward a passion of mine, mm. which is mm. helping couples avoid uh, their relationship breakdown and really becoming stronger and more connected over mm. time as opposed to breaking down. Yeah, I guess for you, it was such a personal thing too, right? Because I can only imagine, I mean, my parents... It, it, I think we come from a culture here in Spain where um, people very much have very long lasting relationships and, and, and the, the norm is to get married and just be with that person forever. Even if the relationship is terrible, you kind of, the tradition is do not get divorced. You know, it's very frowned upon. And nowadays people are, do get divorces, but um, still, particularly in my area, the whole idea of having this one very, very long, even boyfriends, like you'll have a boyfriend for 15 years and you will suffer everything with them. Uh, you know what I mean? But people don't let go and also don't learn ways to, to cope with relationships and strengthen their relationships. So you do find people that after 15 years of a relationship, it, it does break. Um, but my parents are still together and they've been married for going to 40 years. And of course they have their, you know, ups and downs, I suppose, but I can, I cannot imagine what it would be like if my parents had divorced. Um, mm -hmm. I guess it would have given, because I always think to myself, I have this, this idea of what a relationship looks like. You know, I have a mother and a father and they live together and we have this routine and this family unit and and that is what gives me security. I know I'm going back home and everybody's there. And, and if that were broken, mm -hmm. I don't know what my life would have been like or what model would I've 
uh, followed. I suppose my own model of what I wanted in my relationship was to some extent, um, you know, build on my parents' relationship and the roles that they have, even though I don't necessarily agree with the roles they have. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did think always in my life, I did think, okay, I, I want to have a husband and I want to be married forever. A bit like you, right? Believing mm-hmm. in this, you know, everlasting yes. love affair. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> so yes. it must have, I can, I can, I mean, I do understand that it must have shattered your world and the whole idea that you had of what a family unit was. You precisely, you've nailed it. The idea that um, for a person of that age, my sense of security, my sense of self was wrapped up in being part of a unit. So even though I may have had uh, social struggles at times, you know, at school, because being, mm. a, being a young teenager, often there are struggles in that space. I felt like I had a, a strong unit at home to come, right. come home to that I could rely on. And so when that was no longer there, I felt sort of unmoored, um, as you put it. And as you also said there, the idea that we look to our parents to be models for the relationship. And, and I really didn't know where to look to. I didn't really mm. know what it was supposed to be because on the outside to me, it seemed like things were going as a relationship should go. Hmm. Uh, and that sort of created. That's very a- unusual, right? Because mm-hmm. like sometimes that can be misleading, right? You see no signs and then boom, out of nowhere. And other yes. times like my parents, I remember my parents arguing a lot when I was little. I don't even know what they argued, but petty things like my mom didn't iron the shirt properly and that got on my dad's nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. But, and somehow they never got divorced. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think that... So maybe, I think maybe that, yeah. the, the actual discussion itself, you know, the, the, the expressing it. Exactly. Healing. Exactly, yes. That, that's exactly way. what I was thinking is that, you know, in my parents' situation, they just didn't really talk about what, you know, the issues at hand is what I found out later, you know, mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. talking to both of them about it. They, they weren't really communicating about the issues that mattered. So is that why the work you do, um, this this workshop that you've been doing recently about conflict and turning it into closeness? Because I was thinking about it and I thought, well, surely if you if you have conflict with somebody, how on earth is that going to end up being a good thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah Because conflict seems that it's just going to, you know, set all hell. Yeah, a fire, <laughs> fire right? Fire. And, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to do the opposite. You know, it seems like he's counteractive to actually go into conflict with somebody. But I yes. think now that I mentioned that, you know, this might have been what saved my parents in a way, you know, to, to let it out, mm-hmm. although it may not have been the best way they went about it. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe just getting it out of your chest is what does the trick. I think that's certainly a place to start. Absolutely. So, so is that the approach to the work you do then? Is that how you approach conflict? I okay so so a key for me in approaching conflict is first of all to name the elephant in the room just because you're not talking about it doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist and mm-hmm. the and the reason it's quite honestly because there's so many things you can focus on when it comes to strengthening relationships and and to be truthful the reason I focused on conflict initially is because I've seen the power that it's had in my I'm in a new relationship now not new so much anymore we've been together for more than 3 years but mm-hmm. The more I've learned about relationships and applied it in my own relationship, mm-hmm. I've started to realize that the two, when the two of us engage in conflict, on the other side of it, we feel more deeply connected than we did beforehand. 
which is which is totally revolutionary to me revolution revelatory revolution whatever the word is it's it's a whole new thing for me to feel more deeply connected after conflict because previously mm -hmm. i would hold it in and hold it in and hold it in and then i might explode and then that would just create distance in it right. in my previous relationship mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that just hasn't been the case in this one and i absolutely credit to you know researchers like john gottman learning as much as i could about what are the patterns in the way that i in the way i show up really focusing on myself first mm -hmm, and being mm -hmm. able to communicate from before myself and then really deeply listening mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you say that and, and of course you mentioned that in your previous relationship where you were married I don't know if you said for six years for the for the last six years of that relationship you were doing a lot of that work and learning about relationships and how to deal with it um, and and of course I know zero about your relationship but I don't know if it would be true to say that you were trying to apply things that you had learned and perhaps you didn't find any positive outcomes to the things that you were trying to solve. Let's say that, mm -hmm. that you wanted to approach conflict in a certain way and obviously you ended up getting divorced. So my take is that perhaps you did not both of you see things the same way or were both of you con um, committed to um, tackling conflict or other issues mm -hmm. the same way mm -hmm. towards a positive resolution. Mm. thing to say okay that's a, i'm that's totally a i'm totally like trying to make yeah, it yeah. up because i'm trying to make sense of how your yeah. current relationship is different from your old one that's a great question okay so i would not say that it's entirely because we had differing perspectives so what something shifted for me i reached a particular point at the end of my last last relationship where i stopped being scared to say what was my what was true for me mm -hmm. what i was really experiencing but the connection for us had been broken down for so long he wasn't in a space to receive it and i was in an emotionally flooded state such that i wasn't able to communicate it in, a, in an effective way right at post divorce i was able to heal and now when i'm when i speak about my my wants or unmet needs mm -hmm. i'm able to do so not always obviously i can certainly get <laughs> triggered but i'm able yeah. to do so more clearly right right i think because part of what i hear in your question is sometimes people come to me and say i want to work on the relationship but my partner doesn't want to will it make a difference and mm -hmm. I absolutely believe it can make a difference. That's what I was trying to get at, right? What was, mm -hmm. yeah, was your previous partner that uh, committed, that aware? Um, and is your current husband, oh, I mean, partner, um, also trying to, you know, like, obviously, because he knows the work you do now, right? So mm -hmm. is he aware and is he committed to mm -hmm. uh, tackling issues or anything in your relationship the same way that you are? Mm. He is because he's also divorced. Mm. Right. He is. Yes. Um, so I suppose yeah. you've had similar journeys in a way. Mm -hmm. And because um, I think it is, it is as much, um, as you say, it's about awareness. But I think that a lot of that awareness comes from your personal experience. And you can read about it, you can have therapists tell you things, but until you have gone through certain experiences and you are ready, yes, right, ready to admit things to yourself, perhaps mistakes to, to really look at how, as you put it, how you show up in that relationship, something that we don't all do, 
most mm-hmm. most times we just operate on autopilot and we're not really taking the time to evaluate what am i doing what why am i saying this yes right absolutely but getting to that point takes a lot <laughs> and, and often at the cost of relationships uh, whether yes. it's personal romantic relationships or perhaps at work um, we're not always aware and we're not always ready for that awareness spot on spot on i i did not realize how unaware i was until mm. i started learning more about my emotional heritage and the impact that it's had on how i show up Mm. In as you put it, not just my personal relationships, but also my professional relationships, and and awareness is power, because it gives you um, a greater understanding of why you live your life or show up the way you do in conversation, yeah. and then you can choose how you want what you want to do moving forward. Exactly, yeah. Awareness is power, and awareness is um, is the best tool. Really, um, it, it allows you to change who you are, to reinvent yourself. Um, mm-hmm. to, to redeem yourself yes. for anything that you may have done in the past. Yes. But you use the term right now. You said emotional heritage. Mm. Could you explain what emotional heritage is? Yes. I would love to claim that as my own, but it is, again, John Gottman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is known, he's known here in the States as the relationship. I don't know if guru is the right, right word, but he's been researching marriage and relationship for 40 plus years. And he had something he called the love lab where he had couples come in and he observed them to really try to break down and determine um, what is it that, that keeps couples together and what, what is it that splits them apart. And he can, with some sort of crazy accuracy, determine um, whether a couple will stay together or not within just a matter of minutes, whether they will stay married or divorced. So at any rate, the, the emotional heritage is, basically an assessment tool that allows you to determine how emotion was handled in your family of origin when you were a child and how that's, that impacts your current um, relationship. So for example, um, some of the questions are around how emotion was expressed in your household. So was it, was it um, frequent for people to express sadness? And if so, how was it handled? Was it acknowledged? and and received in a certain way or was it ignored same thing with anger um some of the questions deal with how affection happened in in a in a a household were were parents affectionate with each other or parents affectionate with children Mm -hmm. so essentially the the assessment gives us information about what we learned in our in our first families about what it means to be emotionally connected and it sort of gives us an opportunity to turn on the light in a dark room and say, oh, this is, this is why it's easy for me to give a hug or not give a hug when I'm upset. This is why it's so important for me to be successful and achieve at work because I got accolades as a young person when I did. But for my partner, that wasn't such a big deal. Mm. So it gives us a lot of information about why and how we show up the way we do emotionally. So is this an assessment to do with your partner then? Just to mm-hmm. see to see what, how much you have in common mm-hmm. um, and where the gaps may be? And will yep. that give you an idea as to if there is a gap, that that may be an area of trouble? Is that... Mm-hmm. That's is a that great question. Works? So it's it's really an awareness tool for an individual. So right. each individual takes it and then... And then you can have conversation about it, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So to some degree, I think that couples are often aware that well, when we go to your family's house, people are hugging as soon as you come in the door. There's lots of action. There's lots of activity. But in my house, our, my family's more reserved. We're aware of it, at least on the surface, but we're not necessarily aware of the impact. Mm-hmm. So this, this tool basically gives each individual a greater understanding of that impact on themselves as individuals. And then we're able to look at it together, the three of us, and go over the current impact it's having on their relationship. Mm. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Powerful wow. stuff. Yeah. And is that available online or how do you do that? It is in uh, one of Gottman's Or is it just distributed by therapists and, and coaches or? It's, it's really interesting. He, puts it in, he has it in one of his books. I think it's the seven principles for making marriage work. It could be in that one. Oh, actually, you know which one it is? It is The Relationship Cure, The Five-Step Guide to Strengthening Your Marriage, Family, and Friendships. He has a number of assessments in, in that text. <laughs> I'm always looking for things to do with my husband. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And compare. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think we have done our own version of it by just comparing, you know, I mean, obviously we didn't know about it or anything, but I think, and I'm sure everyone in a couple does this, you know, you do compare notes on, oh, how, how were you brought up and how did your parents, um, you know, tackle, I don't know, the topic of sex or, mm-hmm. or religion or, I don't know, punishment as a child or things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps you understand how each of you individually have gone, th- whatever you have gone through and how it shapes the person that you are, because you may end up being exactly the, a replica of how you, your parents did things, or you turn out to be the complete opposite <laughs> because you hated it. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So coming back to conflict and how, um, how to go about it and Mm. how we can turn conflict into closeness. We talked about, um, self-awareness being the first step, Mm -hmm. awareness of, of what triggers you and how you show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm just trying to think, okay, a situation where, um, let's say, let's say for instance, my dad and how my mom was an ironing properly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, that triggered him. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So something he never did and he never will. uh, But let's imagine my dad being a different man and just thinking to himself, huh, I wonder if that was a fair thing to do (laughs) (laughs) or to say. Right. Right. I mean, that would be, that would be a different world, a world in which my dad questions (laughs) the things he says and does. That would be, that would be a step towards self-awareness. Yes. And, and possibly changing, yes, improving the quality of his relationship with my mom. Yes. I think sometimes what we're not aware of is that our words and actions can either create distance in the relationship or connection. Mm. And so Absolutely. I think the first piece, you know, in the, in the example of, of your dad is when he said that, I'd be curious to know then, then how your mom responded. So, so, you know, some people might respond by, by getting angry and defensive back. Others may pull away and, and stop engaging. But the person who, the speaker in that instance, can observe, have my words and action created connection or distance? Mm. Yeah, no, definitely distance. <laughs> my mom yes. gets all defensive. But she's <laughs> used to it because that's, that's the way he's always been. I mean, he, he's a person, 
with zero interest in, in changing the way he is. Mm-hmm. He's setting his ways and he's the kind of person that you love me the way I am or you leave me kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Plus, footnote, he thinks he's the best anyway. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the way he is because he's ever so charming in his way. <laughs> he's perfectly perfect, just as he is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yes, going back to the, to the topic of language, I mean, even just changing the language you use to say what you want to say, even if he were still to complain, but if he just did it in a different way. Yes. Isn't it? So let's, let's take my dad say as, a, as an example, but what would be the following steps then in, in, in turning mm-hmm. that conflict into closeness? Mm-hmm. So or what strategy, what other strategies would you, would you propose if my dad wanted? Yes. To be connected. To be more connected. Let's say that he, yes. Yeah. So, so let's say that he had not said that. Let's, let's say that he had walked up to your mom and seen that she had inappropriately ironed his shirt. He, he might say something like, I, I really appreciate honey that you're doing that for me. Um, However, it's, it's really important for me that my shirt looks like this because when it doesn't look like this, I don't feel confident when I go out. And again, I appreciate what you're doing, but the way you're doing it, when I walk out of the house, I don't feel confident. I wonder if you'd be open to trying it another way. Hmm. Yeah, so totally not making it an issue. Just <laughs> <laughs> and and e- I mean, even still hearing that when we're doing something for someone else, you know, as an act of love, it can be difficult to receive that information yeah. too. Yeah, it, it, can, it can, but it is definitely a lot nicer than, you know, I'm not even going to repeat the words. <laughs> things that he says when he communicates but yes that's a lot nicer and in a way because he presents it as there is a reason why the way that is ironed is not acceptable yes you can kind of understand oh right so let me make an effort to then do it differently yes so that i can fix that problem whereas i'm not the problem the problem is that this doesn't meet a certain standard for a purpose Yes. So it exactly. kind of like takes away the, the, the blame on that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. It, gets, it gets to the idea of why, why is this so important to me? Mm-hmm. Often when we engage in conflict, we talk about the issue on the surface, mm-hmm. right? The shirt being inappropriately ironed, but, but really, it's, and, I, and I don't know the specific, specific issue, obviously, but in, it, it could be that for your dad, he, when he goes out, he likes to look a particular way so that people receive him in a particular way. People respect mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. or think that he's well put together and that is important to him. And so when, when the shirt is being ironed in a way when he would, where he would not be able to feel like that, it's less about what, how your mom is doing it and it's more about the result of that action. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Jess, is it, that people, because I'm trying to go back to the whole conflict thing. So should people wait until conflict has become an issue to Mm. then try to look for that awareness Mm. and then fix the problem? Or do you advise to anyone in the world in a relationship and out of a relationship Mm. to actually start working on building that awareness? Mm-hmm. Uh, in yes. order to avoid future conflict or being better able to better equipped to deal with conflict yes yes that's an excellent point conflict is going to happen 
right? We each, we each step into relationship, whether it's a work relationship or a personal relationship with our own set of experiences and beliefs about how the world works. And inevitably, we're going to end up in conversation with someone who has had a different set of experiences and who has a different set of beliefs. And we can go into those conversations unconsciously mm. and show up with a complete lack of awareness about who we are, what our experiences have done for us, what our beliefs do for us, or we can show up consciously. And mm. when each person shows up in conversation consciously, there's a much greater likelihood of connection as opposed to disconnection. Mm. Yes, absolutely. My husband and I are very aware of these things and we have our own way of, um, of approaching arguments that we call conscious arguing. So we have a whole ritual of things that we would do to avoid, not to avoid the conflict because you still have to have that conflict, but to, to, to make it fairer mm-hmm. and to remove the anger Mm-hmm. and to sieve through that awful language that comes to mind when you're really angry <laughs> yes and and to just clean it out remove all that's unnecessary and just obtain like a really clear idea of what the problem is and talk about it um as you know with the, with the aim of resolving the problem you know, for a resolution. And so we have these six steps that we, we follow. For example, we don't approach um, an issue if we're angry. We go away, we take the time to cool down, whatever that might be. Uh, for me, it used to be jogging. Now I don't jog anymore. Can't go out. <laughs> but do something that will sort of help you calm down. Mm-hmm. Then tell the other person, um, that you want to talk about something and um, set a time. Don't just approach this topic uh, randomly at any given time because that might not be the best time. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you find a time that is suitable for both of you, whether you're both free, you've got nothing else to do, create a nice environment that is relaxing, that's positive, um, and then use um, those important words like, you know, you, you want to even if you're in your head, you, you were, your story was like, oh my God, he's always doing this. He's always doing that. Blah, 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 blah. You want to remove the blame and you want to say how you feel about it. As, yes. you, as you gave the example from my dad, right? So I feel this or um, when this happens, it makes me feel this way. And so you take responsibility for the way you feel, which at the same time helps you reflect on, is this fair? Mm-hmm. Am I just making, you know, a whole mountain out of nothing? <laughs> or mm-hmm. is this a valid point? In which case he will know how it makes me feel. Um, and then we talk about it. And then we say, how can we not repeat this in the, in the future? How can we fix this problem? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's our six-step approach to, to having a conscious argument. First of all, bravo, the fact that, the two, that you guys have come up with this process. It has taken a few arguments. Yeah. But um, what, this is what I was going to say. So we, neither of us had this in mind before. And we just sort of learned it as we were in the relationship. Because from the beginning, we knew that we were both committed to making the relationship work. And while I'm quite good now at using this framework with him, mm-hmm. I do recognize that in other relationships, like in friendships and in at work, it has happened to me that there were triggers that I didn't see coming, 
I didn't recognize them at the time and I didn't have this awareness. Mm -hmm. And so I exploded because obviously everybody's character is different, right? Some people might pull away, be really shy, not say anything about stuff and it builds up inside, but you're not really creating a problem with say a colleague. Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. (laughs) I'm the kind of person that I'll just say things. Uh Um, without thinking because at the moment at the time when it happens i'm not thinking this is a trigger i'm just thinking oh this person hates me or this person is being unfair or this is uh, you know something yes. they they say in to me even if it's yeah. not directed to mm-hmm. me and so one thing is to have this awareness or to be committed to this awareness for a relationship but actually the awareness can extend to anything in your life. I mean, you can forever be aware (laughs) or be working on your awareness, isn't it? It's it's a whole lifelong commitment is what I'm trying to say. It is a continuous commitment. And coming back to that word that stood out to me that you just said about, you know, in your own relationship is the way to really connect through conflict is to be committed to the commitment itself, Mm -hmm. to recognize that the relationship is this whole entity aside from each individual. And if you're committed to the sanctity of the relationship, then you're going to commit to be aware and to speak from your place of awareness as opposed to from a place of blame. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. And I think for me, I kind of find that more meaningful and more, I connect more and I commit more to that commitment Mm -hmm. because it's my relationship. So I find value in it. What I'm struggling a little bit more is just what I just say now is like identifying that same level of commitment Mm -hmm. to other relationships, because it's very difficult to say, unless you are dealing with people that you're having particular problems on a daily basis, like a best friend that is really difficult or a specific colleague you work with for a long time that you see every day that you might want to commit to, okay, how can I improve the relationship with this person? But the the trick is when somebody comes out of the blue (laughs) and they just get the best of you because you don't see that coming, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And so in which ways can we, develop that awareness so that Mm -hmm. it might be less likely for any of these triggers to catch us off guard. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips? Well, so actually I use something called the energy leadership index, the ELI energy leadership index. And again, it's another assessment because I think I find tools and assessments powerful because they give us information about ourselves that we Mm -hmm. previously did not know. So this particular assessment gives us information about what causes us to get triggered? What are the things that happen that cause us to land in a place of feeling like we're helpless and hopeless? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things cause us to feel angry and in a state of conflict? And once we're able to recognize what those things are and we can see them through this tool, then it's, it's as though we have a, a new set of glasses on and we right. can view things differently in our interactions with other people. Mm. Yeah, that's so important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go look for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly particularly at work because um, it's so easy for us once we perceive. Because I think the key word is perceive. Once we perceive 
that there is a problem with somebody or that somebody doesn't like us in our perception. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get into this, you know, cycle of, it's a vicious cycle of what you think is constant attack. Mm-hmm but it all exists just in your mind because there's no actual evidence that any of that is real. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so when you say that, it brings to mind, um, it brings to mind the idea, and I feel like I'm I'm sure you've used this before, this idea of when someone says something to you and your mind goes straight to that, why is that person doing that? They're really trying to to upset me. Mm. Switching to a place of the story I'm telling myself is, Exactly. Because your mind wants to have a story. Your mind is trying to make sense of what you have perceived. Mm-hmm. And so your mind, your mind will fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And basically everything is a gap because there's no actual evidence of anything. Yeah. But it's so amazing that once you've created that story in your head, you totally believe it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't possible. matter if your colleagues who know the other person forever tell you, no, that's not this person. That's not what they're like. That seems out of character. It doesn't matter what they tell you. You've got your story and you're hundred percent sure. And I think for me, thinking back at a particular colleague that I really struggled with, although 70%, I'm sure she was evil. (laughs) Which does happen. Yes. (laughs) It can happen. This is, this is, uh, yes, this is my gut instinct, but I'm not necessarily 70% sure that what I perceived to be a problem actually was a problem. Mm -hmm. But I think I built a story based on that gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I developed this whole idea of conflict and actually things that this person did and said triggered me Mm -hmm. even more because of the story I had already in my head. Mm -hmm. So it felt, it felt, I don't know, a hundred times worse than he could have feel yes. that he could have felt yes. um, going to work and dealing with this particular person, even having them in meetings and you feel really small and you, they're like a big monster and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all in my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm still not sure to this day mm-hmm. how much of that was actually coming from her and how much of that was just me reacting mm-hmm. um, unaware, mm-hmm. you know, on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, from anger, I suppose. Yes. So, so it's really important to have tools like that one that you just mentioned so that you can be aware of what triggers you, yes, and you can do something about it. Even at work is, is the more important, actually, because even though we all think, oh, yeah, I just want to be myself at work. Uh, no, you can't always be yourself <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> being yourself, your unaware self can get you into trouble. That's a really important distinction right? A lot of people will say just that I want to be myself. Hmm. But when they're saying that they're actually talking about what in energy leadership, we would call your ego self or your, your unaware self. Hmm. But when you're really um, conscious of where you are energetically, then you can show up differently, which means that the likelihood that you're telling stories in your brain about what other people are trying to do Yes. <laughs> yes, that is definitely something that I did learn because as much as I'm committed to having a conscious life at all levels, mm-hmm. it is really hard work and you don't always do it. You, you're not always able to be Buddha walking around, um, being ever so conscious of everything and, and situations mm-hmm. do catch you off guard. And, and I think for me, the lesson I learned is that, yes, um, I have to bring that consciousness into 
into the way that I relate to my colleagues and that I show up at work and not just because I, I also have a background in education. So I, I have worked um, with, with children, with adults, with people of different ages um, and doing training and, and doing coaching and so on. And of course you are aware and you want to be aware and conscious of the things that you do with your immediate customers and clients, but you don't always necessarily show up the same way with your colleagues or even with your superiors, right? You kind of expect, you have this arrogance about yourself that, you know, just like my dad, they have to love me the way I am because I'm yeah. a great <laughs> practitioner. So mm -hmm. I don't have to try anymore. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and, 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 and so as much as I hate to say it, because I do want to believe that, yeah, let's all just be who we are, but we haven't finished being who we are because mm -hmm. we are ever evolving and ever becoming. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the final frontier is conquering um, in a workplace. When I worked in a team, now I don't, I work for myself, but when I did work with other people is, is being, bringing my consciousness to the workplace and navigating the very difficult dynamics, people and power dynamics that are there at work and not allowing those to really affect me. Yes. Um, yes. And, and that's just at the workplace. But I think in, 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 in friendships, there can also be power dynamics at place. And even in, in romantic relationships, very much. <laughs> yes. Yes. And in families too. And in families. Yeah. Right. Between siblings and parents. And yeah. 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 I mean, you can imagine at home with my dad. I mean, he thinks he's the best. So <laughs> you can't tell him anything, you know, like obviously nobody knows anything. He knows everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he does everything the best. Uh -huh. And obviously you're navigating that and trying to bring your consciousness, your awareness. And at the same time, if you if if you may attempt to educate him mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you dare mm -hmm. um is is difficult it sounds like it would be really challenging <laughs> I, don't I just ignore him i don't bother yes yes there is a point where you can just walk away yes, yes. Yeah. um something that i um something that i always recommend perhaps because i love writing and i loved I love just how the written word, the written word captures emotion and gives you the time to reflect on things really much more than when you speak. Mm -hmm. Is journaling. I always recommend journaling for everything, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and what do you think about journaling um, as a way to... Um, maybe not in a systematic way, like this is an assessment or a tool, but just mm -hmm. to allow your emotions to flow, just to think to, with yourself, for yourself and, and write down like possible triggers and, mm -hmm. and possible yes, ways that you might want to go about things that if you don't write down, you might forget later on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. My clients, um, we use something called the committed to connection journal. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's exactly what you've just described. It's a place where each person can, can privately record times when they've been triggered and try to, try to, to sort of get out what was the triggering event, what was I, in, I needed or wanted in that moment and didn't receive. Mm -hmm. And the act of, as you said, putting it down on paper does something differently for emotions than just 
letting it swirl around in your brain. A lot of times hmm. people find that they learn a lot more about themselves and how they're showing up when they get it down on paper. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, the power of journaling for me when I've used it is that before I wrote anything down, it would feel like I, I didn't know what to do. Like I had yes. no answers. Like oh, I only had questions. Yeah. <laughs> but then the minute I start writing things down, I allowed myself the time to reflect and to think, okay, well, how might I do this differently next time? What could I have said or done differently? And, and to make a point, to write it down and make a point of, okay, next time I have this similar situation, I'm going to try say this. Mm-hmm. And really, for me, because of my training as a teacher, <laughs> really to, <laughs> to have that as a to-do thing, you know, mm-hmm. like it's my homework to mm-hmm. in the next time when this comes up, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. For opportunities. I think, I think that's, the, that's the key for me to, if you want to see change, you've got to make an active commitment to trying to implement some of your own ideas, as crazy as they might seem. Um, mm-hmm. and, and often we hold those secret to, to change and sustainable transformation. <laughs> Precisely. We hold it there inside of us and we don't even realize it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think writing is, is a beautiful vehicle for transformation. Mm -hmm. If I can get a little bit personal now with your relationship, then how, um, what would be the best things, um, or, or the, the, I don't know, the, the habits or the routines that you have in place in your relationship that you feel like are really strengthening your relationship? Mm-hmm. So similarly, I wouldn't say that we've nailed out the process as fully as, as you and, and your husband have, though now I'm totally intrigued and absolutely want to try that. Um, <laughs> one thing that we do have in place is something I call uh, zones of connection. And Essentially, the way it works is it's a, it's a way for us to communicate how emotionally available we are to connect at any given time. Right. And it's so very much like a stoplight. If, yeah. you're in, if I'm in a green zone, then I'm open to talk about even difficult things. I'm not triggered in any way. If I'm in a yellow zone, I might be open to talking, but there's a possibility that I won't be as open to hearing what you have to say because I've mm-hmm. got a little more skin in the game. If I'm in the red zone, I'm so triggered that the conversation really won't move forward, no matter how much you want to have conversation. Um, and, that, and that works for all of us um, in, our, in our household. It's much, we found it's much easier to say, and instead of blowing one's top, it's right. much easier to sort of check in and say, I'm in the red zone right now, and I just need to take the dog for a walk or I just want to go read my book, or I want to go scream into a pillow, whatever it is Mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to release the, the tenseness. Um, Mm. we allow ourselves the space to do that. That's one. Um, and very much like what you described earlier, we make it a priority to come back to whatever the issue is. Right. So, so if one or the other says I'm in the red zone, we know we're coming back to that conversation when both of us are in a headspace where we're able to communicate more consciously and we absolutely choose a time and place that feels um, supportive for both of us as opposed to being one or the other in an adversarial position. Mm, I love the, the actual 
that you have a phrase for it that, that I'm in the red zone. I love that. I mean, when you were describing it before you mentioned the word, I was picturing like at school when you have, you know, you want to track how well children are behaving and you've got this, I don't know what you guys have in the US, but we used to have like you're on earth. And then if you behave really well, you go up into the oh. sky and you're in the clouds. And then if you behave really well, you can go further up into the stars and then to the yeah. sun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was, picturing, I was picturing, I was thinking, does she have something on her fridge or on the wall that she could just like put a sticker on it and go <laughs> in the red zone? <laughs> well, you know, it actually, it started with my partner's six-year-old daughter. She oh. um, shared custody of her and she was coming in. And I could tell she'd come in and she'd feel really emotionally triggered. And because the, the words that were coming out of her mouth and the way that she was communicating with us indicated that she was upset. And so mm -hmm. she's, she's six. So she's learning about emotions and how we express them. And so it really started with a piece of paper and some colored pencils. And so we talked about things that make her feel triggered, things that make her feel like she's in the red zone. And then we came up with ideas for what she could do when she felt like she was in the red zone. And so then we've done the same with all of us. And now I've carried it onto my clients. So I have clients using it now as well. Yeah, that's great. It's so nice that you're bringing that awareness um, to her as well, because I think children often, children are probably the one group of people that suffer the most because we don't really teach emotional education to children and they they just get flooded with all kinds of emotions that, that they just don't know how to, how to handle. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. I mean, I wish that they taught that at school, to be honest, because mm -hmm. um, you find that it's only difficult <laughs> children mm -hmm. that are then pulled out of the class and they get some kind of um, support, let's say, if they're going through like, uh, I don't know, their parents are divorcing or some kind of trauma. Those children are, by then it's a bit late, but they are then pulled away and from everybody else and, and taught strategies to cope with their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, but often all the rest of the children have also gone through things, may not have reacted mm -hmm. as, uh, you know... Um, Outwardly, I guess. As, yeah, as... Um, Yes, as uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, um, radically, <laughs> yeah. as, as those mm -hmm. other children, and therefore their emotional needs are not met. They're yes. not taught any strategies to cope with yes. things. Yes. Um, and and I wish that was not the case. So I love the way that I love the fact that you are actually you know that you have noticed first of all mm -hmm. because you know a lot of the times parents don't notice mm -hmm. and go through the most emotionally heavy stuff and if your parents don't notice it's just you feel unseen and mm -hmm. and you just it can it can traumatize you forever <laughs> mm -hmm. i i'm sure. so glad you brought that up because i feel like it's it's a big part of the work that's to be done in romantic relationships is really mm -hmm. untangling what we learned about being able to name our emotions being yeah. able to express them and how we respond to others uh, when they are experiencing emotions. So many men in particular in our culture, I'm not sure about in yours, but a lot of people in our culture, particularly men are taught to essentially stuff it. Yeah. You don't, if you don't talk about it. It's not, uh -huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. So rubbish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Spain too. Uh, it's very much about, I mean, the idea of what, 
it is to be a man is just, I think, universally wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> in general. And then those stereotypes and, and, you know, it doesn't help anybody. No. So it's important that men, even if, if it's at the time, you know, when they're grown ups and they have divorced, I mean, it's never too late to learn about yourself and to, and to become a conscious human being. Um, but I'm really hopeful that now that people are more and more conscious of themselves and, and that's the one good thing that ha has come from the COVID pandemic, right? Everybody's been looking inwards and, and really noticing how their emotions have changed, what small things that have triggered them. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, many couples have gone through terrible things at home, mm -hmm. being stuck with abusive partners and so on. But other people have taken the time to actually connect with each other, um, get to know each other better. And I'm hoping that I can say we are moving towards a more conscious humanity in general. And it will be for us to then educate our children in consciousness too. Uh, that's that's my wish <laughs> we are on the same page 100 of the world mm -hmm. um, yeah because children are really i mean imagine a world in which a teenager is already a conscious teenager and and comes into a conscious relationship with another conscious young person and they just have an amazing conscious relationship forever <laughs> yeah i mean even if you are going to split up you can split up in a conscious way too, without causing any harm, without being horrible about it. It doesn't mean that because you aim to have a conscious life, mm -hmm. that your life will be perfect, mm -hmm. right? I think this is a misconception that, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so are so perfect and so conscious. Why did they get divorced? Yeah, shit happens mm -hmm. to everybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and, and in, in, that, in that idea too is, being conscious doesn't doesn't mean that two people are are still meant to be in a relationship, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if yes, it might just be part of a journey that you are growing together and then growing mm -hmm. apart. Mm -hmm. And and everybody is there to teach us something. And sometimes mm -hmm. you're you're both learning together, and and sometimes your your learning will take you elsewhere, and and you need to be with some other person or by yourself. Yes. Yes. I think I think it's also letting go of that old idea that we are supposed to be married to one person forever. Mm -hmm. You know, if that is the case for you, if that happens, then great. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we need to hold on to those ideas of shame around divorcing somebody, even if you have yes. children. Yeah. I don't think... Um, many people do stay in relationships because they think it's better for the children and then they just end up not being the role model that they wanted. And then they end up traumatizing those children too because you grow up with, you know, having seen your mom perhaps being abused or, or, or her not following her dreams and sacrificing her happiness and you feel guilty or whatever the situation may be that we see in movies all the time. And maybe we know somebody who's going through something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think as we move forward in consciousness in our lives, we will eventually accept alternative ways of relating to one another. Yes. Yes, I agree. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And perhaps in thinking that way now, when you, when you think back at your parents' divorce, mm 
And I don't know to what extent that traumatized you, but do you find yourself thinking about that divorce or understanding that divorce now differently than you did before? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think to myself, you know, you use the word shame a minute, a minute ago. I think people are ashamed to get divorced, but they're also ashamed to admit that their relationship is in struggle. Hmm. And, um, I can't really honestly say which I think is worse. I mean, shame Mm -hmm. is shame. It's a really heavy burden to bear. Um, But now looking back at my parents' divorce, what I see is two people who could very much could have used um, support, an opportunity to talk to someone who could help them become more conscious of their own needs individually and their goals as a couple. Hmm. Yeah. And thinking about um, getting that help, and I'm I'm trying to link it to that emotional heritage assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the way that your parents, and certainly I'm thinking of my parents too, and because, like I said, the way that I look at relationships and 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 my model, if you wish, is my parents, and so I can imagine that for your parents, it was their parents. Yes, and perhaps the way that your father related to your mother was also based on his parents models and for your mom the same and perhaps it was just two different worlds in a way opposite ways of dealing with things um and maybe i mean i don't know how long ago this was of what generation they're from certainly for my parents they they didn't you know they're not too old but it was never a thing for people to go in, go to couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, mm-hmm. that's a weird thing. We don't need mm-hmm. couples therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would guess that our parents are probably about the same age and I don't, I, I don't think that it was something that was, was done and talked about openly. And, and mm-hmm. truth be told, I don't think it's actually talked about all that often now. Yeah, even I now. think more people, yeah. People talk about going to individual, like individually to a therapist, but many mm. people don't talk about getting help for a relationship because I think that the mistaken assumption is that something is wrong with you or something is wrong with the relationship. Mm. When really, there are so many ways in which we try to strengthen other areas of our life lives, right? I mean, we, mm. when, when we want our car to work, we take it to a mechanic when we want to feel like we're making financially sound decisions, we go to see a financial advisor. When we want to be mm. fit, we see a personal trainer. Mm. All of those are areas where we make sure that things are working properly. But, yes, but relationships. Why not our relationships? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Before, I mean, it's always good to check in. Um, Again, I mean, I think for us, uh, we have both now in these relationships gone into our relationships knowing that we want the relationships to work. It's not necessarily the way that everybody has gone into their relationships. Um, But I do think that relationship education is something that not just for romantic relationships, but for all relationships in general is, again, um, a big part of the curriculum that is just absent right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole bullying thing is only just a fraction of the way in which 
in which people relate to each other. And I think if we focus on the positive mm-hmm. and positive ways of relating to each other in general and teaching people about what to expect in a relationship and, and those relationship dynamics and so on, it might help people choose better partners too. Mm-hmm. Because often, as much as you might want to save the relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean that the partner that you have is the best person for you. I mean, I don't know in the case of your parents who got divorced, whether your dad then remarried and ended up in a happy marriage or whether that was the case for your mom, in which case perhaps they just had married the wrong person mm. for the, or for the wrong reasons. And it could mm. be an arranged marriage in some countries. It could be that it was your childhood sweetheart that you were like so intoxicated with um but have zero else in common or <laughs> you know going mm-hmm. for that relationship mm-hmm. and and we don't we don't realize but often not always but often relationships start really early in our lives like it's, you know at least in spain people can have a boyfriend when they're 15 and end up marrying that person and forever being with that person and how can you at the age of 15 make sure that the person you're with is going to make that mm-hmm. ideal partner that you can share. I'm not saying nothing is going to be go wrong because they're perfect. No, mm-hmm. but a person that is with you mm-hmm. and is committed to making things work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gamble. <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from from a, the perspective of brain development, mm-hmm. certainly we aren't capable of, of making those kinds of decisions until we're, I, I mean, I don't even know the most recent data, but I want to say mid-20s, early 30s even, before we're fully formed in terms of neurologically to be at a place mm-hmm. where we can make sound conscious decisions about a partnership like that for life. Yeah, because our current needs, I mean, as we have evolved in time um, our needs have changed and I think there was a time when yeah you could get married at age 12 it was just mm-hmm. a transaction you just needed a mm-hmm. husband to provide and love mm-hmm. was not part of the equation mm-hmm. um, you might develop affection for the person or some kind of dependency or or you might even love the, grow to love the person in a way but I think the idea behind marriages was completely different back in the days than it is now yes. before it was a necessity mm-hmm. a financial necessity to fitting in a group to be socially mm-hmm. accepted or whatever but now we no longer need that we just have this marriage institution mm-hmm. um because it's a tradition i suppose <laughs> it's yes. part of our cultural heritage yes but it no longer serves the function that it was created for and and therefore um i do thing that now we're trying to catch up with that brain development of okay i want a husband but i don't need this money or this support of this security Mm -hmm. because i have that for myself Mm -hmm. and therefore what is it that i want my husband to provide Mm -hmm. and and that's the difficult requirement and again it's equally difficult for men because you know before it was oh i want a submissive wife and and a lot of people still enter relationships in the modern world and modern age with those same ideas. Oh, my wife has to be submissive and she has to be like this and like that mm-hmm. in the kitchen and look pretty and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But we no longer live in those times. And it's, it's 
is not um, is not real. <laughs> it's not realistic uh, for a man or a woman to have those expectations um, from one another. Mm-hmm. I suppose at the same time, it's also not uh, realistic to have expectations of oh, I need my husband to make me happy, which is again another big one. That mm-hmm. oh, I just want you know when when I marry this guy, I'll be happy, and you're still not happy. Right. Yes, I'll <laughs> be happy when. I'll be happy when. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll be happy when, and then you're never happy. <laughs> and you're never happy. You're just forever chasing it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that can be that can be a big problem. So I think, uh, yeah, part of why conflict might exist in relationships, whether you're aware of it or unaware of it, is is actually the reason why you got in the relationship in the first place Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not just how to deal with that conflict but becoming really aware of yourself and really honest with actually what is it that i wanted from this person or that i am still wanting from this person and and being brave enough to walk away if if Mm -hmm. you realize that i'm using this person for 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 my gain that's a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so whole there's so world. many, so many places we could go. <laughs> there's so many places we could go. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But I love, I love, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been really interesting to think about conflict as an actual tool mm-hmm. to create peace. Yes. As a way of becoming closer with the person rather than push them away. Yes. And for anyone listening to this podcast, I think it's a lot of food for thought because I know from my own experience that I wasn't always aware of this and that I was always very reactive to things, very quick to talk. Um, Being my father's daughter, I always thought I was right. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And it's important to come out of your own head. I think this is how I when I think about being in a conscious relationship, I always think about, I need to come out of my own head. I need to observe what is going on in my head, but hold my tongue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just need to watch the movie mm-hmm. and then summarize all these two hours I've been going on about nonsense in my head, summarize it into one useful sentence. Yes. <laughs> just like yes. you would do with a film. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, summarize it. What was the plot? What was mm-hmm. the ending? You know, yes. and do the same. Mm-hmm. And for me, this has been one of the biggest learning curves of my life, just learning to do that. Yes. And being able to to really use it to have a conversation with myself yes. rather than make it a conversation or an argument with the other person. Yes. So this and, is how I put it to the and, world. And my version is opposite in that I've learned to take the conversation that I avoid having and actually have it. Mm. And whether you are in your position holding on and reflecting before you're speaking, or I am reflecting and then having the courage to speak, mm. both of those are ways to show up consciously and potentially connect yeah conflict sure yes because not everybody reacts or behaves the same way right yes Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting that you say that there 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 are situations where it took me over 20 years to be able to express my thoughts and feelings but only in certain situations because of 
some trauma that I had around certain issues. Um, but when it comes to my opinion and all that, I'm very hot-headed, you know, proper Spanish, <laughs> like spitting fire out of my mouth. <laughs> and so many times when it comes to conflict, that's where I feel like, yeah, I can shoot, you know, yeah. hurt people. <laughs> Great image. But, yeah. I don't recommend it, guys. <laughs> don't do that. That's not where we're going with this. We're learning to grow. <laughs> So Fair yes, enough. absolutely. We got. We have to acknowledge that yes, everybody will come from their own experience, and and either where they didn't, where they were avoiding conflict, that is good to actually have it consciously, mm-hmm. and and where you were just going for it, it's good to step back. Yes. And think about it. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Jess, thank you so much for being here, and I'm sure everybody has learned a lot already about some tools that we can use and uh, you know ways that we can think about how we approach conflict i'm sure everybody's had their own stories in their head how would i do this differently yes um, but where can people find you if they want to connect with you and learn more about the work you do yeah great question uh you can find me on my website so it's jess j e s s ramsey r a m s e y hyphen coaching.com Jess Ramsey coaching you can also just find me on Facebook which is uh, Jess Ramsey coaching or on Insta Instagram Same perfect way. yes yeah. so I recommend everybody uh, whether you're single or in a couple if you're having trouble or you want to know more about um, dealing with conflict or any other thing related to relationship things just get in touch with Jess thank you yeah. so much Barbara it's been a pleasure <laughs> <laughs>